Week eight is behind us, and we come to you on this Hallow's Eve with a very spooky edition of Stat Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Handjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. <laughs> Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can I use You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Drico, and all of those of you in chat. I, I noticed that you're not in costume. Uh, I am, in fact, in costume. I am an irrationally exuberant Cowboys fan, which isn't that different I, than my everyday costume. Yeah, I I, I thought we were we were just going to do Kirk Cousins on the uh, on the header this weekend. You're like, oh, can we do CD Lamb? I'm like, oh God damn it, you're going to make me talk <laughs> to the Cowboys again. Yeah, I mean, for every uh, for every CD Lamb, there is also a Tony Pollard. So we'll definitely have to talk about Tony. Um, of course, very sad with the slew of injuries again this week. Kirk Cousins out for the season. Uh, you know, we get Terod Taylor with yet another uh, rib injury slash. I believe, if I remember correctly, wasn't the uh, Justin Herbert start because of a Terod Taylor rib injury? where he then got his lung punctured by the team doctor. So this, <laughs> this guy has bad that, luck yeah. with his ribs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rib cages uh, have not, uh, have not treated them well, but we did get Tommy DeVito uh, to play some NFL quarterback snaps. So, uh, you know, the NFL giveth and the NFL taketh away. Uh, but I'm sure True. that we will cover all of that during our charts, especially when we see, Saquon Barkley's 382 touches in a single game. Um, that's only slight exaggeration. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, let's uh, let's get into these uh, these charts. Um, and as always, we start off with QB passing and efficiency, uh, or efficiency efficiency and rushing production. And on the horizontal axis, we've got adjusted yards per attempt which is like normal yards per attempt, but uh, rewards touchdowns and punishes interceptions. And then on the vertical axis, we've got touchdown rate, self-explanatory, and then the size of the bubble corresponds to their rushing yardage per game. And so any, anybody, uh, we, we sort of like, I feel like we were looking at a pretty stable chart um, every week. And I know we, we've been back and forth about may, maybe, uh, maybe, doing an, another chart to sort of like give additional takeaways and any, anything sort of sticking out to you. Yeah. Good, good tease on a potential shakeup of the QB chart. We'll have to, uh, to see when I can get around to uh, coding up a new chart here, but I think we've got some good ideas there that might lead to uh, an even more actionable quarterback chart with respect to fantasy um, for right now, dealing with the old chart format, um, not a ton of, Big takeaways, I would say, you know, we're starting to see Lamar, even even after like not a great week here against the Cardinals where Gus Edwards just ate up all the touchdown production. Um, I, I would still say that, you know, based on what we've seen Lamar do, based on where he's at at the chart, I certainly see, you know, you, you have those enormous ceiling games well within the range for Lamar. So he's 
if he continues to be underpriced or undervalued in you know DFS or uh, BR drafts or dog bowl drafts, um, he's he's one that seems like a good spot to attack. Typically in like the the draft style formats, he's clustered in. You know, if there's elite quarterbacks on the slate, Lamar goes with them. Um, so I don't really think there's a huge pricing inefficiency there. There was uh, in that week where I managed to take down a, a Miami seat, but uh, the market quickly corrected that and said, oh, yeah, Lamar Jackson should go basically one, two, three, white, right with Mahomes and Hurts. The other one that I wanted to mention this week was Purdy. We saw and he's he came down a little bit in TD rate here. Uh, his adjusted yards per attempt is still very high, but we've seen a couple I don't I don't want to like jump to conclusions and call them bad games from Purdy, but I don't really think there's a way around um, calling this most recent week a pretty bad week from him. Lots of uh, lots of flavor and uh, and context to add to the performance, though, in that he was coming off of a concussion that he only had six days to get right from. There, and he might have been concussed again during the game. Yeah, yes. Uh, there, there have been some studies that people have done showing that players coming off concussion do see dips in production, and that tracks. I don't know about you, Drico. Whenever I have traumatic brain injuries, I'm typically just a little bit worse at everything right after. Right, so, everything, everything involving quick reactions, attention to detail, like brain shaking around my skull. Not a, not helpful for that. Yeah, and and this is this is going to get way too down narrative street to be actionable at all. But I, I do want to point at it as just a potential example of like what a concussed guy slash guy recovering from a TBI looks like versus someone who's got all their wits about him. When Brock Purdy is sitting there inside the ten yard line with a wide open receiver in the end zone, he just needs to layer in a little touch pass, and instead he just throws a dart right into the arms of the defender you know, but two yards in front of him, that might be something where if he was, you know, at full, full mental processing strength there, that's one where he's like, oh yeah, let's just layer this in. But instead he just rips it right into the defender for a really costly turnover. So yeah. I think though, apart like that, that, that's like helpful, like that, like as a helpful reference to a play when I'm thinking about this sort of statistically, what I'm, what I'm saying is over a longer sample size, He's played quite well. Like the efficiency has been there. And oftentimes I find that the most uh, advantageous situations, is, especially for quarterbacks and uh, other positions too, but especially for quarterbacks where you have a poor game or two and people have these explanations just lined up. Like they're so ready to believe, oh, Purdy is actually not that good. It's a Purdy pumpkin. And you have a longer sort of sample size. Now, we're, we're through a game, so it's not like a, a vast sample size, but it, it's solid. It's half a season of sample size of Purdy playing well that I do think that's sort of like a if you see uh, dips in ADP, ownership, pricing, that may – I mean, Purdy, he's the, he's the type of quarterback where it's a little bit hard to get the true ceiling game just because – he, he is a pocket passer on, on, on an offense that likes to run the ball quite a lot. But uh, he, he, he's a, I, I think he's definitely something where, where you can play a, a sort of vomit stack, maybe not quite vomit, and uh, it, it can get there. But maybe even more actionably that 
I'm still really interested in San Francisco pass catchers. Like, cause I, I know how strong this offense can be. And I'm not, I'm not going to shy away because of one or two weak performances. And, and maybe, maybe that's sort of understood by most people, but if not, I, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty uh, obvious example of a re- regression uh, to the positive side candidate. So you're so you're looking at these last couple performances as more an aberration than anything, and you'd be willing to buy back in on Purdy yeah. here going forward. Yeah, I I, I mean, it, it's it's maybe I don't have like the sort of explanation where I know ball or whatever. I just know that I I I much prefer to rely on longer sample sizes, and I think human beings are too ready to believe patterns in smaller sample sizes. And I, I I think, I just think this is a pretty classic example where you're better off trusting the larger game sample. Okay. That's, that is fair to play devil's advocate. I will say the things where Purdy is good are things like EPA that are very going to be very systemic uh, and more indicative of the offense as a whole and not as much the individual player performance. And if we look at this offense historically and other quarterbacks that have operated in it, Jimmy Garoppolo also had a very good right. EPA. I'm not, may, I'm not trying to make a talent argument for Purdy. Because, eh, like, I, I understand all the things you're saying where, like, the offense is set up to make him look good. The, the, the weapons that he has make him look good. So I'm not trying to say Purdy is a world beater. But in terms of fantasy, eh, can you still get those 25, 30 point games that you're getting before? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't t- see those as, as out of the picture. And I don't see the, the sort of go, go. I think I still see the go, go games from the 49ers where they just have so much talent that it explodes as very much on the table. And I, I think that's probably the best point. And that's where I uh, personally probably make too many negative assumptions about Purdy where you're saying it doesn't matter for fantasy how good or bad he is that you you know what you're saying about oh well the offensive system is so good yeah and he gets to exist in that offensive system <laughs> deal with it buddy <laughs> he's just gonna, <laughs> he's going to keep crushing and you're going to keep crying if Try you harder live yeah so uh, i i do think it was really important to discuss purdy though just with this you know this 3 week down stretch i i personally played a lot of iuk in the dog bowl i tried to get over my anti purdy bias and say yeah, it doesn't matter. The the offense is so good. And I really leaned in heavily into Ayuk and Kittle. I shouted out Kittle as a, a good play in that format uh, last week on the show. And that, that yeah. didn't pay off. Um, but as far as other quarterbacks here, moving on in the chart, um, I'm interested. My, my big question is uh, we've got some interesting uh, – Guys sitting here at right around seven yards per attempt. Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, uh, Stafford's going to miss some time. Dak Prescott, all, all these guys sitting around here where I feel like they're probably right around the same tier for fantasy. Of course, they're they're also right in line with Mahomes and Hurts, but I don't, I don't think that's uh, anything that uh, it'd be fair to lump these guys in with them. Have but, you frozen? Oh, no. We, uh, we, we oh. lost you for a second. Okay. He, uh, the last thing we heard was uh, he's hanging around the uh, Mahomes and Hurts, but I don't think that's 
No, I'm no, finished. I was I was finishing that thought up with I don't think it's fair to lump them together, but of these guys of Dak, Lawrence, and Carr, um, do you have any interest in any of these three as potential positive regression candidates? We kind of saw Dak get there this week, but what about Lawrence and Carr going forward? So I think I I, I did call out Carr as a uh, as as somebody who I, I I thought could improve as the shoulder got better, and um, it it does feel like. You know, everybody's been talking like Derek Carr has played awful, like truly awful. But above seven yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, that's that's pretty good to solid. Um, and, and obviously you can see there that he's been getting the yardage but not the touchdowns. So that that that's something where I still I still feel good about um that uh, that having an improvement. And maybe it's it, it it's how we talked about where Chris Olave always has his hot he's he's been having these high air, air yards that haven't been converted. And if, if those pay off, then you can see a huge explosion game for the two of them. Um Trevor Lawrence, that that's it that's an interesting one where some of the peripheral sort of like big time throw stats, sort of stuff like that, have said he oh, this guy is playing great, but his receivers just keep dropping the ball. That that's interesting in that like the receivers only really need to put it together for one game for that game to be awesome, but at the same time, do you do you think I I I guess I'm asking you this do you think it's sort of fair that Trevor Lawrence is it, it that's just his situation right now where he gets let down by the talent around them where it's a lot of not quite elite receivers not quite number one receivers. Yeah, I. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily from the games that I, from what I've watched and you know, I don't really feel like Lawrence is getting let down a ton by his receivers. There's certainly some, you know, some drops where, you know, if those get converted, all of a sudden his numbers look a whole lot better. Um, I also think that he might be running just a little bit poor um, as far as his, his own stats for all the touchdowns that ETN is scoring, right? If ETN is taking all those touchdowns off the table right. in the offense, um, then Trevor Lawrence is just going to look a little bit worse. And so I I did want to bring up Carr and Lawrence just because I think, and really Stafford kind of is in the same group with them for the reason of, hey, we saw Kyron Williams run super hot on touchdowns for the start of the season. And again, this data is through the entire season up to now. So it takes you know, a couple games to really move the needle for these guys. Um, so I, I do, you know, we're going to miss time on Stafford, but I do think Carr and Lawrence are uh, are potentially some interesting targets going forward. Um, I'm actually just looking up right now. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if uh, the Jags had played the Colts twice already or if they still had one more Colts game, and they, they have played them twice already. So that's a shame. I was uh, I was looking for a uh, Jags Colts matchup where we might get a Trevor Lawrence explosion, but uh, yeah, we're we're gonna have to wait for. I mean, geez, there's really not uh, the the matchups aren't favorable. Uh, it looks like Week 17, which you know, if you remember, is all that matters. Week 17, where they get the Panthers, um, may, maybe that's the spot where we get the the T Law eruption. Um, Derek Carr, as far as like an eruption spot always just feels like a tiny bit thinner to me to have those eruption games purely from the Taysom Hill touchdown equity vulture 
phenomenon, right? Like, like kid could Derek Carr easily have a game where he throws for 403. Yeah, absolutely. Like we see it in the air yard stats to Olave, like Shahid is getting like, you know, average depth of target of 50. For, like he's right. going crazy. Like if Carr runs hot one week, like he could for sure have a monster right. smoke. Week. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're concerned that, you're also fading that Taysom Hill doesn't come in and steal a big chunk of that production. Right. He, he's very live to it every week. So um, I do like that. I think that it does, you know, depress people's uh, perception of car too, just having that Taysom variable in there. So he's one that's sneaky to me. Right. Uh, well, he's, he's played by the, by the numbers. He's played well. Whereas most people that I feel like the perception is that he's playing awful. Yeah, which is strange to me, and I, like, I I hear people calling, not to not to call out Silva, but on the established show on Friday, Silva's calling Carr a pussy, and I'm thinking, the guy like tore his AC joint or like sprained his AC joint, right? Came like and played like two days later or something. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that's a, a pussy, man. That's that's like <laughs> a guy who's who's gritting it out for the team. Here's a here's an interesting thing that. I, I wish that I had time to look into this, but maybe maybe you can uh, shed some light on this for me. Adjusted yards per attempt, that's not going to be negatively impacted by guys that are, are throwing the ball away, right? Like a throwaway isn't counted in there in your adjusted yards per attempt. Is that correct? Um, no, I think that I think I can't. I should I I should know it. Uh, I'm, but I am pretty sure that it does count as a. It does. As, as okay. A, I was I was wondering what if I can look at the Derek Carr stats as a split and I just remove the million Alvin Kamara zero yard a dot checkdowns and then I look at his adjusted yards per attempt without all of those little tiny Kamara dink and dunks in there you know not that they're not going to happen they're still going to happen but I I feel Wait, like hold on a second they're not included uh, they're sorry they are included yes they are included they they are included okay. Yeah, I was right. So there, there there's a, a PFS stat for aimed passes that, that would correct for that. And um, maybe we should make that adjustment uh, going forward. Yeah, wonder wondering if uh, if we extricate the uh, Kamara dink and dunk stuff, how Carr looks as a passer, because I, I do think that that may be skewing his adjusted yards per attempt a little bit. And again, not that those aren't going to happen, but just to get more right. of an understanding of this is a guy who is he's pushing the ball down the field, you know, like he's, he's chucking right. it deep to Olave. He's chucking it deep to Shahid. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at their schedule here. You know, we've got saints, bears, saints, Vikings, saints, Falcons, saints, like saints, Panthers, saints, giants. Oh my. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm feeling a buy signal for Derek Carr. I don't know if that's uh, too hot a take for you, but. To me, with the the way the schedule yeah. looks and the the public perception of him, yeah. I think he might be undervalued. Like I think he's like a, a, a pretty classic example of pocket passer, where he doesn't rush, and obviously the offense isn't perfect, so he's not he's not going Mahomes every week. But does he have the three hundred yards, three hundred plus yards, and, and three touchdowns in him in any given week? He, 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 he certainly like. And, and and that is something where at a really depressed price win, wins you money. Yeah. Uh, don't need to spend a ton more time here on the quarterback chart. The last one we, we need to shout out, though, before we move on 
is Kirk Cousins, who is making his Viking funeral appearance on this chart as he tore his Achilles this week. Uh, very tragic. Kirk was having a career year, uh, leading the league in completions, I believe tied with Tua for first in the league in total touchdowns. Just the guy was crushing. I mean, with or without Justin Jefferson, Kirk was was balling this season. And he's he's a really easy guy to want to root for. He's a little bit... Uh, a little bit of a goofy character, um, but I mean, he seems like a good person and it, it definitely makes you sad to see a guy like that uh, lose a season of injury. So got to pour some out for our boy Kirk here. Yeah, yeah. Root, rooting for him to make a big comeback again next year. Comeback prior to year, hopefully. Oh, that'd be great. Um, all right, let's, let's move on to running backs unless you've got any other quarterbacks you wanted to touch on. No, no. Uh, covered who I taught word covering. And I need to uh, I need to zoom out a little. There we go. And so this is our running back snaps and usage chart. And and this part of it deals exclusively with sort of starters, or at the very least, sort of one A's. And what we have here is rush attempts, routes, pass blocks, and run blocking, all expressed as a percentage of team total play. And so when you stack these bars on top of each other, you see what percentage of the, the offense's plays the, uh, the, the this running back was on the field for. And then you can see the sort of flavor for how much of that was rushing attempts, how much of it was routes, how much was pass blocking. And so we, we sort of covered this. Uh, we sort of cover what this chart is every week. But one thing that I think uh, I haven't sort of emphasized and maybe not emphasized enough is the reason we look at stuff like routes in something like this over targets is because when a barring a couple of very elite sort of uh, receiving running backs, when a running back gets a target, it's usually more often than not, it's because the, where the offense wanted to put the ball, it wasn't open. And so either the, the, the blitz got home too quickly or they were covered and it's like, okay, we're not going to be able to push the, the, the ball down the field this play, so let's get it. Let's hit our check down. And the the main thing is the main thing, honestly, for that is in terms of usage, is that you're on the field, that you're actually running the check down, and a huge component of con converting those check downs uh, into targets it is look for all but the very best of red runners, like your, your Christian McCaffrey who can run all these routes that gets open and, and is a trusted part of the receiving offense. He, he Obviously, his ability to get targets is skill, but a, a lot of players, it converting routes into targets, it, it's it's a big look component. Good, good summary and definitely, I think, good clarification on uh, why we're displaying routes here over targets. One guy that I wanted to uh, to bring up here was Javante Williams, who we are seeing trend up the chart. I mean, this to me, the, it kind of seems like the entire thesis. Uh, Javante's down near the bottom, right around a Chan and Pacheco. Um, you Thank can you. you can identify him with a really large percentage. If you look at, at the other green sections of the bar uh, for all the backs, like. 
you can see how much of, of his usage is coming from rush attempts. So when he's on the field, they, they are pretty keen on it, putting the ball in his belly. Um, and I, it seems really silly. I know there's been narrative of Sean Payton might not know, like he wasn't familiar with Javante and admitted as much. It's like, Oh yeah, it wasn't, didn't know how good this guy was until we, uh, self scouted during the buy. And Oh, uh, you know, didn't, uh, didn't realize Marvin Mims wasn't getting on the field as much or, or whatnot. I don't know how much of that is actually real or how much of that is just like, Hey, isn't it LOL Sean Payton bad? Like, isn't that funny? Um, but to me, this kind of looks like signal that Javante is establishing himself as the preferred back. Granted, it is still a, a three-headed monster. But I think the direction that it's trending is Javante will become the usable one. And then it's looking like P. Ryan and uh, Jaleel McLaughlin will both basically be unusable, contingent value type plays going forward um but wanted to highlight javante as he creeps his way up the chart here that's it i think that's a great call there and also interesting in that context is that he is coming off the acl injury and so as as the season wears on and as the knee becomes in better and better shape i i i think that's a that's an easy trend to buy where it's this is sort of like if you're thinking about your prior expectations you, you would have expected Javante to get a, an increasingly higher command of the sh- of the offensive touch share. And so it, it, it definitely makes sense that it's signal for that to be happening. Uh, the other, other uh, I guess, split backfield situation that I wanted to touch on was we have Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor, uh, where Jonathan Taylor just starts crushing in the first half and then goes basically radio silent in the second half um, of the game. Zach Moss still more involved than Jonathan Taylor managers would like. Uh, Even when Zach Moss was coming off of a a week where he was a true game time decision with injury. So really weird to me for Moss to hang on to so much of that work. Not sure if you think that that's something that's sticky going forward, is he just going to be a thorn in Jonathan Taylor's side for the rest of the season? Is it going to progress in the direction that Jonathan Taylor managers would want? It reminds me of, do you know what it really reminds me of? It reminds me of when it was Jonathan Taylor and and Hayden Hines, where JT would be clearly like, even though Hines is, was good. JT is clearly the better back should be getting the touches and it just took longer for that to get established than uh, than we're expecting so obviously uh zach moss is a torn in jt's side for now but i feel like that's a really fragile like set of circumstances where uh my and i guess this is just my opinion my opinion is that jt is sort of like it, it, barring health is a, is a future Hall of Famer. And Zach Moss just is not. Even though he's playing well right now. He is playing well right now. And I just think that it's just sort of an inevitability that JT does just elevate himself where, like, yes, we, we just – the way we win is we give this guy the ball. And that's not happening right now. That That's frustrating. And, and 
there is there's definitely some possibility where it, it doesn't happen but i i do think it's overwhelmingly likely that by the end of the year and obviously i i, I don't know when it that it is a jt show in, in that backfield so allow me to put a hot take in your mouth um are you saying that because jt missed games to start has had a little bit of a lackluster fantasy production uh, you know, in his first few games back, having to split with Moss, he may be a really low-owned piece come time for best ball playoffs. And in week 17, JT against the Raiders may be the guy you need. I think that uh, if we're going down Nardo Street, I, I find that one really easy to believe. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that one. Dricko has said you can't win the $3 million without (laughs) Jonathan Taylor. You heard it here first. Everyone hold it to it. True. And and you've got the stat chasing guarantee on that. (laughs) Absolutely. uh, If it doesn't come true, the uh, ship chasing will refund whatever money you lose on that advice. Just email Pete and, 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 and he'll get you. Yeah, if you if you do in fact make the finals with a JT team and you do not win three million dollars, uh, I believe Pete and Pat are both eligible or, or you know on the line for mm. refunding you your three million dollars that you should have had. <laughs> um, moving on to other running backs near the bottom of the chart here. This is this is, was a bottom of the uh, the chart kind of week in my opinion as far as guys where we had uh, important stuff to talk about. Um, but that's Gus Edwards and Darrell Henderson. So I'll start with Gus Edwards. Um, Gus Edwards really uh, demonstrated this week my entire thesis on why I really wanted to hammer Justice Hill this offseason because I felt like this offense might be really good and they are just going to get a lot of opportunities to score the football. And I just want, you know, explosive players on the offense. And I, I thought that Justice Hill may be able to work in there for some green zone touches. Turns out they really think Justice Hill is just a satellite back. Gus Edwards is definitely, you know, on, on those goal line attempts or those short plunges, it, it's definitely Gus Edwards is preferred. And the biggest painful part for me for that is at the start of the season, when J.K. Dobbins was still healthy all, for the you know entire 15 minutes that he was, they did take Dobbins out of the game and give Justice Hill those green zone and goal line touches. They were trying to make Justice Hill a thing. And it just at this point doesn't look like he's ever going to be the thing that the Justice Hill truthers want him to be. You're just, you're basically sitting here. I mean, shoot, even with a Gus Edwards injury, I I think you're just shit out of luck. It's, it's never going to be able to be the Justice Hill show. Um, You know, if you have a, a roster like ours in the stat chasing main event where you're just up a creek for running back points, Justice Hill can get you six a week, you know. But um, I do think Gus Edwards is that thesis playing out of sometimes the touchdowns don't go through the passing game in this offense and the offense is high powered enough that you want those pieces. And we're seeing Gus, uh, he, he's crept onto this starters chart now. He's getting more opportunities he is kind of like a trap back. He's not getting a lot of passing game work. Um, but, you know, the the touchdown opportunities are really what drives his value there. So um, any, definitely any getting, thoughts on Gus Edwards? He's definitely getting uh, touchdown looks. Um, yeah. 
I don't I, I I don't know. I don't I don't like it, but he definitely seems like the last couple of weeks the uh the opportunity share for Gus Edwards has gone up quite a bit. And the last two weeks in particular, he's actually played quite well. And I guess it it's running back if it short term like one or two week running back efficiency is is can be so volatile that there is a part of me that's hesitant to just say, listen, this is the Gus Edwards show and, and it's his backfield to lose because he's getting the share and he's playing so well. Like I, I think that's 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 true right now. And but it can it be true for two and a half more months all the way through the end of the regular season. That that does feel a little tough. I I don't know if the if if the whole thing, the whole season is decided for the backfield yet, but definitely, definitely been disappointing for uh, Justice Hill and definitely need a, f- a couple of things to break your way for that thesis to work out. And I, I guess how, what's the actionable takeaway in that? We're, we're not taking, uh, we're not taking Justice Hill in the dog bowl in, uh, in shorter benches. He's probably not rosterable. He obviously is for our extreme zero RB squad in the main event, but is he is he still probably some a back where because the offense is good, he still has actually he still has a good bit of uh, potential value. I, I I think that's still true, but don't definitely don't feel nearly as good about it as uh, as we did when we were bidding what six hundred dollars on him, five dollars on him in. Uh, in in week two yeah absolutely i i just to me the the way i see it playing out is let's say both gus and justice stay totally healthy the rest of the season the ravens have kind of told us like we like deploying justice hill in this specific way and and it's that specific way it's not a lot of volume it's they want to use him but he he looks good too when he touches the ball you know and he got a kind of like great that means we're using him right. Yeah, it, exactly. And I, and, and I don't really fault them for that. He's not not such a big bodied guy. Maybe he truly can't hold up to that workload. But anyway, thought that was important just on the back of the monster game that Gus Edwards had this week to provide a little clarity in that situation. Uh, a week where it wasn't a monster performance, but there is relevance here for fantasy, especially with Matt Stafford likely going to miss the game. Uh, we're looking at Darrell Henderson and Royce Freeman chopping up a backfield here. And while Henderson did get uh, more opportunities overall, I think it was a lot closer than the market anticipated. And it really looks like it's basically a true split between Henderson and Freeman um, with Henderson having a little bit of an edge in the passing game. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the situation? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair. And the only Thing that and and maybe maybe this is a debate. Maybe we need to talk about it. My my sort of gut reaction when I see that uh, uh, Matt Stafford isn't playing is that like oh shit, I don't I actually don't want the running backs now because he's such a like he's uh, so important for the offense that uh, him not playing means that the, ov- the the overall pie could just shrink them dramatically. 
I, I, mean, I definitely, I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent there. I think it's more for, for people that are in dire straits for running back. It might be a break glass in case of emergency. Um, and so let's, let's give a couple comparisons. Let's say you're staring down Darrell Henderson or Amari DiMercato. Who are you rolling with this week? Um, yeah, probably, pro- probably Henderson, just because there's definitely, they're probably similar situations where they have sort of not full, um, there's, there's other backs hanging around, but then Arizona, they're going to start Clayton Tune. So it's like, it, you, you, you really, you really need that a really high share and for things to break your way for them Ricardo to, to, to get there. Whereas I don't know, maybe the Rams have shown that they can at least put up some games of production with, um, with Stafford out that maybe, maybe, maybe Henderson is, is slightly better, but that, that, that does feel that uh, I don't feel confident in, in that at all. That, that feels pretty close. Here's here's a gross one. Ramondre Stevenson or Darrell <laughs> Henderson. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? Because like yeah, Ramondre so is like this third is or fourth round pick, but hasn't played well. Offense has been quite bad at times. Like you sort of do have to say Ramondre just because if you're putting any weight on your priors. Like they obviously lean him dramatically, but if you're if you're talking qualitatively and, and quantitatively about the situations, they they don't sound that much different. Right? Yeah, it's he's Ramondre like, is losing work to Zeke Elliott, or am I? Do I? And, and the Patriots might have considered trading Mac Jones, but they didn't. Like nobody called. <laughs> like, no, you're good. You can have him. You yeah. can keep him. Not at not 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 great there at all. Uh, the only other guy that I had uh, where I wanted to bring him up, and he's he's more near the top of the chart, uh, is Saquon, who had just absurd usage on the back of Tommy DeVito out there um, and the Giants refusing to pass the ball. That just, just wanted to highlight the absolute crazy amount of usage that Saquon got this week. Um Oh, and you know what? I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jameer Gibbs, who has snuck into the second spot as far as best usage right. profile. In the I, I should say that's two games. Yeah. Because we're, uh, as sort of regular listeners will remember, we, we do this on a four-week sort of rolling average. And he wasn't – there was either a buy or he wasn't available for the other two. So that is a sample size of two games and, and obviously two monster games. Well, Im- important context, I think. Yes, yeah, very, very good uh, to clarify that. But yeah, the uh, I mean, really, it's just, and, and you know, this is something where last night on the showdown slate, uh, ETR had Gibbs projected for like an absurd amount of points. It was like 21.1, and then they brought it down to 21.0. And Run the Sims also had Gibbs for just a disgusting amount, like, Looking at the projection, I'm like this is wrong. I, it doesn't even matter how good the player is. Like you, uh, the base median projection is not like 
because I think Run the Sims is even higher. It's like 23 or something. It just like this is not a base projection. Like, I'm sorry, something's messed up in your inputs. And for Run the Sims, they had crazy, crazy play volume for the Lions. Turns out it all it all played out that exact way um, where those crazy projections came to fruition for Gibbs. Um, and so I think my big takeaway there is just the Lions backfield produces such an absurd amount of opportunity and expected fantasy points that if it's a game that they're remotely in, it's just, you, you it's kind of like the Dolphins running backs, right? Like you play Dolphins running backs, you also play Lions running backs. And of course, you know, yeah. when you get Montgomery in there and the work's going to be a little more split, um, then it's less attractive. But I do think that we're going that direction for the Dolphins as well, Whereas, you know, Jeff Wilson Jr. and Ahmed are working in and you get a Chan back. Um, it's going to be more of, hey, these guys are less reliable week in and week out for these monster games where it, it condenses on one guy, um, you know, when there's people missing due to injury or whatnot. But still assets you love to have in best ball because those blow up games can come still guys that if they're, you know, available at low ownership or depressed prices in DFS, you like to play them just because they're on a, a great offense. So um, really it's just, again, not to go back to the uh, there's offenses you want and there's offenses that you don't want point that we've talked about on the show before, but yeah, it looks I, like I, I think, I think that is a great point where the lines are, are clearly very fantasy rich environments. All round, yeah. Um, I do think it's it's worth calling out that there's a there's this Twitter page called the Coach Speak Index, and they, they sort of look at the different trends, which coaches say things, and then what they say actually translate, and, and sort of what's the rate of that. And the Dan Campbell for workload stuff, if he says it in the season, hey, we this guy is going to get the ball. That guy gets the ball. And they sort of like flagged that where when he said something along the lines of, I'd love to say we were gonna spill spill him or whatever, but no, we really need we we need him to play. He's gonna play a lot. And I'm sure that was at least a part of the uh the big projections for Jameer, where and uh, like you said, it, it is a great offense to be a part of, and, and then when uh, David Montgomery is out. He, he sort of is a clear far and away bell, bell cow. I, I do think I do think it'll be interesting to see what the split will be when David Montgomery comes back. Because on the one hand, they love David Montgomery. And they've made these comments in the past where like they see him as the as the guy who can take the load and uh, he can take the punishment. And Jameer Gibbs is their change of pace. And but there's also a thing where they can't put the genie back in the bottle. Where they have give they have given Jameer Gibbs the rock, and he has done quite. He's played well, so it's like they, they can't really say that anymore. That he's just this this uh, race car that they don't want to use as a sedan or whatever. Yeah, I uh, I definitely think it's a situation to monitor going forward. But just always err on the side of playing your lions. You know. <laughs> Yeah, Lions yeah, for sure. a great offense. Um, let's let's move on to our backups chart here. Yeah. So it's it's the same chart. 
except this, as you can see, these are people with uh, 25 to 40% of routes plus, plus rush attempts. Uh, Aaron Jones will, I, it might take him a couple of weeks to get up there, but he's going to get back to the starters chart um, sooner than later. He finally got, I believe, was he above 50% snaps this week? Um, but finally working in for more work. Uh, I think on the, you know, the flip side of offenses you want to have, the Packers are an offense you do not want to have. They look bad. Um, yeah, just like plain and simple. The Packers don't seem like an offense that I want a part of. Um, yeah, you're right. Aaron Jones, 50% snap rate. 40% useful, sort of 11% rush attempts, 29% at routes. But I agree where that offense is pretty abysmal and, and you sort of need – if a guy is going to play in that offense and, and, and produce, they need to get the touchdown. And there's usually not that many to go around. They also – they were sellers here at the trade deadline. And so to me – I mean, not that this is very different than they've already been operating, but to me, I would wonder if that means that we see even more opportunities for, you know, their rookie players um, or guys that they're, they just don't know exactly what they have. Maybe we, maybe we see the backfield get shaken up a little bit and we get some of those guys mix it in who's, you know, third and fourth down the depth chart just to see what they have. Cause they clearly they're not a big fan of what they've got in AJ Dillon. Aaron Jones is not long for this league. So the Packers have a void to fill at running back. I wouldn't be surprised if later in the season, we see some of these younger guys mix in Patrick Taylor. Is that, is that their third guy? If I'm remembering. Yeah. Correctly? Yeah. He's a green Bay guy. He is, he's 25. So not, but I think he was a rookie last year. Yeah, so I, I would, uh, wouldn't be surprised. Oh, and he, he does show up here on the chart as well. Um, I didn't yeah, even he does, yeah. So the top of the head. Undrafted free agent in 2020 um, for Green Bay Packers. He, he was actually he was on the New England practice squad uh, as of – wait, hold on a second here. This just says uh, two weeks ago the New England Patriots signed him to their practice squad. Ah, sniped him, sniped him away. Um, and so that leaves, gosh, who's that other back that they, they had work in there? Um, anyway, wouldn't be surprised. He, then he played at, okay, he last played for the Packers week five. So. That's. Yeah, long, long and short of it, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Packers, uh, kick the tires on a couple of their deeper on the depth chart running backs, um, you know, continue to mix in all of their young wide receivers, get the random Samare Toure looks in here and there, um, you know, see what they've got in their, their two young tight ends that they've drafted. I mean, we've already seen a, a good amount of run um, for Musgrave, but Anyway, uh, other running backs on this backup chart. We mentioned Royce Freeman a little bit already. Uh, no one else I really had a ton of, you know, new takeaway on. Did you have anyone else you wanted to talk about here? Um, I think it's it's sort of a little bit interesting that 
Scream Hunt it is still quite low. That that does make me think that Jerome Ford is still the back to own in Cleveland. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you there. And the fact that they rushed Ford back from allegedly a high, what they call a mild high ankle sprain, which does not give the you lowest a- grade high ankle sprain you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, whatever, man. Whatever <laughs> we're doing with that. Um, but yeah, the fact that they rushed him back, uh, it, it's clear to me that like. The reason that they didn't have Hunt on the roster to start the season was they knew he was washed. They didn't like having him on the field last season, and he's purely here out of necessity now. Like, uh, maybe if Pierre Strong... I I don't know that Pierre Strong could really usurp Kareem Hunt for anything, but, I mean, I'd I'd still keep an eye out for it. But, yeah, the the most relevant takeaway is, like, Jerome Ford is still the 1A there, um, and as far right. as like, backs to own and play, that's that's the one that you're really wanting to do. Um, the other guys that I actually have takeaways on here uh, are guys that I think are, are going to be better to point out on the next, the efficiency chart, so. Okay, yeah, let, let's, uh, let's move on. So we've and, got the uh, running backs expected points on – Efficiency chart. So it's rushing expected points on the horizontal, receiving expected points on the vertical, and the size of the bubble corresponds to efficiency. And and like we mentioned on the prior chart, this is rolling for week. So week five through week eight. And I'm sorry, I did uh, I did interrupt you there. No, you were good. I was trying to rush to the podium to capitulate because you were super right last week when you. We're trying to talk me off of some potential uh, positive regression for Damian Pierce. And maybe it was just the rumors about the knee. Maybe he's going to be fully healthy after the buy and they just give him a full 20 carry workload. <laughs> nope. It is. It's a hundred percent exactly as you called it. It is Devin Singletary is just the guy that co- Devin Singletary could absolutely show up to any coach that he's ever played for's house <laughs> and take his daughter out on a date. They just love <laughs> something about Devin Singletary. He's a good man because coaches love him. And it's not that Pierce right. has been anything special that he's, you know, he's should be keeping Singletary off the field. But yeah, this backfield is for me, like in a, in any kind of format where I'm needing that high single week upside, complete stay away. I, I will not touch Pierce. I will not touch Singletary um, in any kind of like tournament type setting where I need the upside the only way you're getting there is just fluky touchdown luck for for here's a here's a crazy stat and 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 something that blow my blows my mind a little bit. So for the backfield of Houston in week eight, the expected points for for every running back in, in for Houston was 29.3. But the highest expected point for any individual player was 10.4 for Damian Pierce. So that's 10.4 Damian Pierce, 9 Devin Singletary, and then something called an Andrew Beck, 7.9, Mike Boone, 2.6. But uh, it's it, it's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty wild that, that what it, if, it just split that much. What if I told you I've played some Andrew Beck uh, on Denver showdown slates last season when he was a tight end for them? 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> sounds like it sounds like a smart uh, show no play. It was. He was running hot at, on on touchdowns last season. But yeah, when when I saw him vulture that Damian Pierce touchdown, and I had some Damian Pierce in the dog bowl. I was like, this is this is just fucking perfect. Andrew Beck comes back to haunt me an entire season later. Cause I, I remember telling I had a couple buddies, I was saying, like, I'm pretty sure Beck is like Beck's the skeleton key to this showdown slate. Everyone wants to play Dulcich. I'm jamming in Beck. Like, this is great. Insane leverage, low owned. I'm solo shipping Millie's. And then Beck does nothing the week that I try to get on him. And then, of course, this week where I try to play Damian Pierce for the first time, like, ever in my life, Beck vultures a touchdown. So that was, like, it was just poetic. Sometimes the universe does stuff like that where it's just beautiful. You couldn't script it any better. Well, I'm sure there'll be zero hesitancy to uh, to play him in showdown uh, the next opportunity. Yeah, I, I won't X him out of the pool. How about that? Um, <laughs> on this chart, though, the the true uh, like star absolute king that we have to talk about, and it it literally it, it makes me sick to say anything positive about this guy because he's a deplorable human. He should be in jail. He's a piece of shit. Attempted murderer Alvin Kamara. Um, but the role for fantasy, where he is a you know effectively a proxy for random number generation for us, he sure sure do generate the random numbers high. So I mean, yeah, like he's he's getting touchdowns, he's getting involved in the passing game early when he had first come back. We had a huge skew to where so much of his value is coming in receiving expected points. Now it's normalized more to where he. He's just so game script proof. It's like what it's everything you want out of a running back. Just incredible, incredible role. Um, I'm I'm down extremely bad because I have like no Kamara in best ball. I just refused to draft him. Thought the suspension could be way worse. Really went heavy on the Kendra bags. Um, but yeah, he's an elite, elite fantasy option going forward. Just purely because of the role. It doesn't even matter that he's not so hyper efficient on the ground. You think he's a first round pick? If just, we redraft today. Yeah, as stupid as it is, like late, like end of first, yeah. The role is so, so good. It's like, because the, the Saints are at least a functional offense where they're like scoring. They do this thing where they like accumulate yards and score touchdowns, whereas like the other guy with this kind of role. Is he skinny Leonard Fournette? <laughs> skinny. Yeah, yeah, he's he's skinny, like slightly less dusty Leonard Fournette. I, I think that's probably an apt comparison. Um, but I, I was getting to Saquon Barkley has like a similar role. It's he, he doesn't have as good a passing game role as Kamara, but he's getting so many carries. But the offense is so trash, it doesn't matter. Like, right? It's so crazy that you could have a role that Saquon has and and not just smash every single week. Um, but yeah, Saquon Barkley is like the if if not priced up like your dream cash cash game DFS running back option. You're just gonna touch the ball a billion times, and you're like, well, he can't goose me. <laughs> He's good for right. twelve to fourteen, no matter what. Um, but yeah, those guys have insane roles. Yeah, pretty it it is any anytime you see a role with over twenty expected points per game, yeah, it it's definitely. Goes without saying, very very good for fantasy. Um, I do, I do wonder though, and 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 push back, uh, if you will. 
isn't the sort of like the idea of the elite running backs is the the legendary upside as our as our friend uh, and 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 mothership podcast uh, guy uh, Packer Rain says, and uh, the the legendary upside season does require a good efficiency where it's like ten expected points in the receiving, ten expected points in uh, in rushing, and then five points over expected and 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 over. The, the big game sample, that's how it happens. So I, I think for uh, Kamara, where he's going, clearly you're getting a great outcome. Um, but him and, and Barkley, I, I, I am pretty hesitant to say that they can both deliver sort of like the the true, like grind your face into the dirt season. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I definitely would agree with you on Barkley. I, I just don't see... It, he has to, he would just have to one man team it, you know, like Saquon Barkley's break in breakaway touchdowns every game for him to get to a right, yeah, yeah. Of season. And for Kamara, for me, what I would push back on is you're right that he's not getting there in the traditional legendary profile that Pat's outlined, but he's getting there because his expected points are 12 and 12. It's not 10 and 10 with efficiency. It's 12 and 12 right. with mediocre efficiency. And so I I would be very surprised if Kamara puts up in, in even, even if we just say from rest of season to end of season, we throw out the games he's already had and throw out the suspension. I, I would still be very surprised if he gets to like the true legendary 23 point per game threshold in full PPR. But like we saw in past seasons where no running back gets there to that legendary threshold. Right. This is probably, I mean, like Christian McCaffrey could get there um, this season, but otherwise, like, is there anyone else that you really see? Is anyone actually live for a legendary season for the entire season first? And then let's, let's truncate that to the remaining. Uh, uh, other than CMC. And uh, what about Travis Etienne? That's a that's a good question. Let's uh let's put a pin in that one until we get to the next chart because I want to use the expected points. Um, okay. Kind of look at that. Um, but then before we move to this next chart, let's talk about and for the remainder of the season, is there anyone that you think could have the pace that would be legendary if they were to do it over the entire season? Um, on this chart, I think Brees Hall could get there for sure. Yes, I am leading the witness to Brees Hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the rest of the year, focus on this chart. He's right in the middle. Yeah. Look the at big the guy dot you right see in next the to CMC with the big dot. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> and that's that was my assessment too, though. Uh, earnestly, I, I think that if we were gonna redo the draft, that's actually a good question. We redo the draft right now. It's the end of the first round. CMC, or excuse me, CMC's gone already. He's 101, yeah. 102, right? But it's it's Brees Hall and Kamara after all the big receivers and Travis Kelsey are right. off the board. You're into the first round. Who are you taking between Kamara or Brees? Yeah, easily Brees. Like, I, I'm like, it, it. I would obviously have to play the ADP, ADP game, but I like if it was a rest of season from here, week nine out, I, I, I would be like, thinking to myself, you know, I should be taking Brees Hall here, like e- even in like the first six picks. Just and and then would you be 
Kamara or Barkley? Let's say you're, you know, second round or, or even. I, I, I think it is Kamara over Barkley there. For, for okay. sort of the reasons you've outlined there where his he, he's got the, 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 the functional offense. He's got the nicer receiving role and, and sort of more game script matchup proof just because they they want to involve him so much in their offense in, in, in all these various different ways. Uh, and then just to to touch on Jacobs really quick, because Jacobs is like diet Kamara right now because he's bad. He's not actually good at running the football, which some some people say running backs should be good at running the football. Uh, but he's been atrocious in pretty much any metric that you look at there. Um, but he has been receiving targets in the passing game, really. And you, you did see it last night, like when the Raiders are down, I mean, the offense was entirely non-functional last night, but I don't know that that's going to be very different going forward for the rest of the season for the Raiders. But when they're down and they don't have guys getting open downfield, the Jacob safety valve is like, that is the Jimmy G special. Like, let me, let me throw it to Jacobs here and not take a negative play. I'm trying to think of what the situation was. I want to say it was a fourth down it might have been fourth. Oh, maybe. yeah. It was like four and seven or something. And he threw a check down. <laughs> it's like five yards short with, with no <laughs> yeah. green grass. Like it, the only way Jacobs was getting a first down is if he like picked up the defender and carried him with him across the right. for five yards. Was, I, I laughed out loud. At that I had no chance of, of working. God, God bless Jimmy G, uh, the funniest uh, man I on the football field. I'm I'm now I'm I'm moving my my pendulum or my my meter is moving from you know I uh, I I'm looking at the long term data and and I'm, I'm I'm sort of suspecting that he's not very good and that he's not going to be very good and and the more games I get where he's he just doesn't play well overall the more I'm like okay last year was an aberration um the role is good but. When the offense is bad and the player is bad, then it it sort of like it almost doesn't matter for the, the role that like you know it's he's a pretty classic typical dead zone back. So I would think. you say last year Jacobs was the savior of the slappies in that you know not a not a good profile didn't look to be a good back probably the argument for the jacobs drafters to not be called slappies was his price eventually got depressed to the point where it wasn't a slappy pick to take him but yeah it was a sharp draw, pick by the end for sure could you draw a parallel between jacobs and adam thielen this year where you also were in fact a slappy if you're selecting adam thielen but by the end of the summer where he was so pushed down it probably was correct to fill up on your Thielen shares there. Yeah. Thielen is a little bit, I think is a little bit trickier because any, anytime you have these kind of like second team receivers and, and this is, this sort of speaks to, I I like to think of it as like, I guess results versus process. Whereas obviously the result for Thielen is, is very, very good, but even at the cheap price, somebody like Thielen, who was clearly at, he was and, and is at the tail end of his career, and 
those guys, almost no matter how cheap they are, unless they were once a truly elite player, then it, it, I think the roster spot, the, 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 honestly, the opportunity cost of the roster spot is, is a very important consideration with those older players and, and, and receivers. So I don't, I don't think fading Thielen was bad, even, even knowing the result. Because I think that if you were to replay that over and over, I, I, I don't I don't know that your like expected outcomes are bad by not taking him. So do you think I, I don't so think there's an applicable lesson. To to put a bow on it and, and maybe be the applicable lesson, missing on players like Jacobs and Thielen, now that we've got a couple we've got two seasons where we've got these guys that are just smashing absolute league winners at cost. But you're saying that missing on those players is the cost of doing business yeah. as a thoughtful drafter that's optimizing for the right things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and the other the other part of it is is that like you're not gonna you're never like we're humans. We're, none of us are. You you're kind of a machine, but uh, most people aren't machines. <laughs> and the idea of like you're gonna have the perfect draft every draft, and you're you're you're. Uh, uh, your ownership levels are just going to be perfectly calibrated to perfect. It, it, it it's not real. Like that that's not a, that's not a realistic uh, like goal for anybody. What you're trying to do is even even if you're trying to play exploitatively and, and pick your players and, and try to get to twenty percent uh, exposure on, on lots of guys. What all you're trying to do is make sure that your your exposure levels are better than the field. You're just trying to beat. Eight, 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 eight for everybody, and you can miss on on big smashes and, and still be better than the field just because you're also passing on the huge bus. And I think too, especially when you're playing tournaments, there, there's a lot of like luck involved in that. You you can you can miss on players, but if you can build one squad where you hit on a bunch of players, you, you hit on the right players and, and the right amount of players across uh, that team, then it's like you, you've done your job. You've got your super team. You get to the final, and, and, and you, you roll the dice and you go from there. So or, maybe that was a bit of a long explanation. but I think that I was a really, really good explanation. It's, it's more about the pursuit of the tie, the one roster it all comes together on than the individual exposures of getting to say that, well, I, I got a bunch of Adam Thielen and he, he's doing so good. It's like, yeah, well, all your teams look like shit because you're a donkey. Um, right. And I mean, like you can still, like you can still say, Hey, I, I want to target this exposure. I want that exposure, but just don't, I guess, like you're saying, don't sort of victory lock one exposure because it's, it's, it's across the whole thing. But then also don't don't kill yourself if something if something that, that you weren't on works out. Like maybe maybe you do need to re reevaluate and, and and there is a lessons in, in, in learning from data, but not always, I, I feel like. Not always. Okay, let's let's move on to our second yeah. uh, expected fantasy points chart here for running backs. So in this same chart, and, and, and people often say, Oh hey, you don't have so-and-so in your chart and we're like oh no he was on the other one and 
you're probably better at me explaining how we like separate these two charts out. Yeah. So what we did just for readability, because if I combined all of the players on one chart, it would just be a you know complete mess of colorful chicken pox of dots where you couldn't read anything. So what we do is we order the players based on their expected fantasy points, their total between the rushing and receiving. We order them in a list, and then we split them into two sets, the odd set and the even set, where the odd set is the players ranked 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, et cetera. Even set is 2, 4, 6, 8, et cetera. And we split them up into two charts. That way you get a nice mix of guys that are going to fall in the different bands of each chart. So it's, it makes them easier to read um, across. And so on this chart, we see Jameer Gibbs emerging in that extreme elite alpha role like Kamara and Barkley had. Again, this is only that two games of data that we've got for Gibbs, uh, just the way that the rolling four weeks have worked out for him. Um, but I, I really think that it goes to show because between Gibbs um, and Craig Reynolds, who Craig Reynolds on the last chart was in that five to 10 expected fantasy point band. But between Gibbs and Reynolds, you're looking at like damn near 30 expected fantasy points for the team. Um, and so that is a that's a backfield where I'm very interested uh, in, in having pieces of that, just like we talked about with Miami in previous weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very important to monitor when Montgomery gets back. How does the workload shift? Um, I, I just think with either of these backs, like for best ball, you're going to be, if you had Jameer Gibbs, even at the fourth round cost that he was going at, you're going to be happy because of the spike weeks that he's already been able to deliver. Um, and if you have David Montgomery, you're going to be happy because of the raw points and spike weeks he's delivered at a depressed cost. So both, both great picks there. Um, a guy that I, I wanted to talk about um, going forward and also to, to go back on what you had said as far as ETN. Um, so you mentioned ETN as a potential legendary type of season here. And so we see in the rushing, he can get that, right? Like his, his expected points per game on the rushing side is, is elite. He's at that, you know, right about 12 expected points per game, which is really, you know, one of the highest marks out there in the league. You know, you got Ken Walker, maybe a little bit ahead of him, but his involvement in the receiving game, as far as his expected points per game is right. lacking a little bit there to get to that true, right. you know, absolute He's not legendary season. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. that it's for lack of opportunity. He's running more routes this season. And so what I would say is he's like right on that borderline of he probably can't give you a legendary season this year. But for me, it's a guy where, you know, whenever he's either overlooked by the field or undervalued, underpriced, whatever it is, that's a back where you should be really happy to play him. Now, this last week, for reference, in the Dog Bowl, he was, at the beginning of the week, he was, you know, the second back off the board after only CMC. And that was a spot where I'm willing to pass on the price because you could get guys like Kamara and Brees Hall and Saquon later um, and not have to pay such a premium there. But I would say when, when the roles are reversed and when you have ETN going behind that cohort of guys 
it's real. It just becomes a price game. Just know like what type of back he is. Like, for example, just in a vacuum, let's say that Saquon and ETN in a future dog bowl draft are going right back to back to each other. Who would you prefer in that scenario? If it's Saquon or ETN, yeah, it's yeah. ETN all day. Yeah, right. And so it's just just knowing like to be price sensitive on him, and when he's in that cohort right. of guys that belong with him as far right. as expected fantasy You're points, saying, don't take him, him alongside CMC. Right. Yeah. Don't don't C- take him. CMC alongside is CMC. just going to beat the piss out of him. Yeah. But if if you're talking about the guys who have elite roles, but they don't have his talent and efficiency, then he, he he's an easy bet over them. Thank you. A much more succinct way of saying what I was rambling towards. <laughs> uh, no, no, that was I, 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 that was helpful for me as well because it, it helped me frame better frame how to think about ETN as well. I've got a got a question for you on Swift. Um, so Swift is interesting to me, and you know we've talked about what an elite offense it is. Uh, you know the the role is good. Um, he's clearly the one a, but like this week, there were spots, especially in the first half, as I was watching this game as a very interested, uh, you know, had, had lots of Eagles all over all my entire fantasy portfolio between best ball, dog bowl, DFS, what have you. And, uh, I, I just found myself getting so frustrated watching Kenny Gainwell, um, who to me, this this might this is probably biased because I had everyone but Kenny Gainwell and it was very vivid to me watching how shitty he looked. But does Kenny Gainwell look worse than previous years Kenny Gainwell has looked? Because I feel like in past years it always was, oh, Gainwell doesn't get a ton of opportunities, but he always looks good with what he gets, and but the team doesn't involve him a ton. And you know, we like Gainwell, the team likes Gainwell. For me, watching this the first half of this game, I felt like every time Gainwell touched the ball, it was like, why did we waste a play on this? This was stupid. Right. Right. It, you you have a, an all-star uh, level talented uh, offense. Like, truly, truly offensive line, quarterback, receivers, tight ends, DeAndre Swift. And it, it I, I, I agree with your assessment that um, he is – is not he's not up to their caliber he's he's and and maybe maybe it's more obvious than previous years because of the the surrounding talent now obviously a lot of these are returning players but i i would say that swift is is better than uh, than Miles sanders so maybe the comparison there is, is tougher on him that's fair that might be but a, he, he a reason he hasn't played well gainwell has not played well and and so what i would what I want to know is, and this is, we're going to start getting into having to make assumptions about rational coaching, which is always dangerous. Uh, are the Eagles going to see what we're seeing and say, gosh, Kenny, we love you. You're our guy. You know, we're, we're going to have you, you know, take some snaps, but is his opportunity going to, could we see Swift's opportunity increase is really what I'm asking. Cause that's what I'm interested in. Right. Um, I think that's what we should see, but I don't. I don't know. Like what? What I get sort of caught up on is that the coaches, coaching staffs, frequently have a guy where they just trust when he's in there that he's not going to screw up in some monumental way that 
the stuff that they're looking at, like, oh, he's running the right route. Oh, he's he's got his blitz pickup stuff on point. Uh, nobody has to remind them what the play is as they're breaking the huddle. Like, and, and, and stuff like that, where it's like stuff that we don't care about that maybe may, it feels like maybe he's doing, he's the type of guy that m- might be doing that quite well. And, and when the offense is rolling, that like it's not like a pain point. But at the same time, I I do I do think it's true that somebody who is playing inefficiently and, and not particularly well amongst better players, that that like them keeping their opportunity shares is always going to be fragile, because it just takes somebody else to to keep playing well. It just takes one play or one game. Where or, or two games, where it's like okay, we, we, we just can't do this anymore. We we, we, we need to to uh, to change things up a bit. So I, I do I do think that uh, there's definitely a chance where they uh, they they take the ball from Gainwell, but it it, it it it's a bit harder when the team is this good. It, it it's harder for me to be confident about it. So here's here's a question I've got going forward. So we talked about how Javante may be earning more opportunity going forward, and we're not right. entirely sure. We we think Swift should earn more opportunity, but you see Javante's in that cluster there with Darrell Henderson and Chuba Hubbard and David Montgomery right there in that uh, 10 to 15 expected fantasy points band. I would assume that we could certainly see him moving up into that 15 to 20 range. Now, who do you prefer rest of season knowing, you know, the trend that we're seeing with Javante versus Swift, where it's a little ambiguous if he's going to get more work or not, but he's already in that 15 to 20 point threshold. Do you, do you have a strong lean one way or another between Javante or Swift rest of season? Uh, I think I still would be Swift. Because the, like you're you're talking about somebody with already that they're already getting the role that we'd like to see for Javante, and so we're we're doing a little bit of rejection here with Javante, and you don't have to do that for Swift. You just like that that's that's the amount of snaps that he plays. That's that's those are the opportunities that he gets, and then when you when you sort of point out that the Eagles' offense is much better, that's helpful. Somebody might say, well, you know, Jalen Hurts steals these touchdowns with the touch push and whatnot. But that's already factored in 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 the expected points that Swift is not getting. Even despite that, he's still getting your your 15 to 20 expected points. And he's 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 not coming off the ACL tear. It, it, I, I, I'm pretty I think I'm pretty strongly swift over Javante. Yeah, I, I, I would be too. I thought it was a good uh, good point to compare as we talk about Javante yeah. potentially trending up. Uh, one interesting aside regarding the tush push uh, before we move on to the tight end chart here. Uh, I don't know if you saw that Washington figured out a counter to the tush push. I'm very curious to see if other teams uh, pick up on this and are able to execute it the way that Washington did. But for anyone who didn't see that play... Essentially, what Washington did was they leaned into the strength of the tush push and said, we know that you can get lower than us. You can have the low. You can win low. Go ahead. 
and they sent defenders over the top to punch the ball out from Hertz up top and where everyone on the Eagles is interested in getting as low as they possibly can get. Right. Low man wins. Truly no one contesting defenders coming over the top. Then it's just a game of how many punches on that football can Jalen Hurts withstand. Um, and then number two is now that teams kind of have, you know, this is an option to try and beat it. How many opportunities do you really want to give teams to just full on cock back and punch the shit out of your quarterback's arms at hand. You know, like right. if I not, you know, no one's no one's out here, you know, bounty gate hunting for, you know, injuring players. But if I'm a if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm talking about how we're gonna shut down the tush push, I'm like, you make a if they're getting the touchdown from it, you make them pay. That that hand better be swollen as shit when Jalen goes to the sideline if he doesn't fumble that ball, you know? And not everybody knows this. I, I in my last year, I I uh, sorry. When I lived in Ireland, I coached American football. My last year, I was a defense coordinator, and maybe maybe people are gonna be mad at me for saying this, but if a quarterback was running it, like that that was that was that was the thing we always had to emphasize. If he's gonna run it, you have to hit the shit out of him. And so I think that's like just a basic sort of like. Maybe maybe ugly side of football where it's just a basic principle, and it's I I, I think I, I think that's a pretty interesting point. I, I I hadn't I hadn't seen that myself. I hadn't realized, but I I definitely agree with you. Where that that seems like a pretty effective counter. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a big boy, but at the same time, you want that throwing hand. Yeah, don't not. don't matter how big or strong you are when another big strong man just smashes your hand. I mean, a football's hard. Football's a rock, basically. <laughs> you, yeah. you get your hand smashed by another big ass man. That's not gonna feel good. The other thing is too, like if a guy really gets over the pile and gets like a Palomalu style flying leap at it, right? You just put your face mask right on that, but like that's that's not a recipe that you want to run back a lot of times for your quarterback. So Right. I, I'm putting a. It's a vulnerability for the. Eagles. I want to. I want to watch it going forward. The Eagles did, of course, show uh, um, a look that they are able to remain multiple from the tush push formation. Um, right. So love, love the game theory of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cat thought mouse. it was worth bringing up. Um, all right. Let's let's get into tight ends unless there was any other running back you wanted to go over. Um. Yeah. Worth bringing up the Kenneth Walker and. Uh, Zach Charbonnet stuff where I know they actually sort of split the snaps last week, but I I do think it's also worth calling out that Kenny Kenneth Walker, he did have an injury going into the game. And I, uh, I, I would be, I'd be extremely surprised if that 50, 50 snap share continued going into next week. But so th- it was something that, that sort of like was in the stats this week. And something to look at for going forward. Yeah, for me, I would say the the signal on that that I'm taking away is the contingent value of Charbonnet is just still very strong, right? Yeah, pretty pretty, pretty fair. But again, it, it like I'm not saying it's the most like likely outcome, but some something to watch for. Yeah, where good, they become fifty fifty. I ah uh, that would be a worry for me. I don't want to see it happen. I, I don't think it'll happen, but again, it's something that happened that we're keeping an eye on. 
So yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at our tight ends, and I'm going to zoom this out just a little bit. So we've got uh, our tight end utilization and efficiency, and these are our starter tight ends. And with tight ends, the most important part is just that they're running a route on a really high percentage of their team's dropbacks, where they're not having to pass block a lot. They're not um, their their team isn't rotating them out with another tight end or using other personnel that they're just on the field running routes. And then the other part of it, and this is why we look at targets per run is that they're an important part of their team's offense. So you can see Mark Andrews, he tops the route chair. He has a targets per run of 20%. Love to see that. And then he has an A dot of 8.3, which isn't the highest, but it's not your sort of typical, like Evan Ingram, four yard A dot, uh, your David and Joku 2.7. It's it's a respectable A dot. Yeah, I I loved just the way that the chart shook out this week because to me it really crystallized what everyone is as far as like where they fall in the tight end landscape and pecking order. And so I'm just gonna kind of rapid fire and go through some of my takeaways that I had here. Um, like clearly number one is Travis Kelsey. He's still got that elite role, 31% targets per route run, dot of 7.4. So not the deepest dot, but he's just so involved that it doesn't matter. He can get there on the raw volume. He still can deliver splash plays, like obviously elite, elite. Then you've got yeah. the more consistent, more involved type of guys with lower a dots um as far as like you're still top strong strong tight ends and that's sam laporta and tj hawkinson both with identical 24 percent targets per route run both with very similar a dots of 6.9 and 6.8 and i think it's really cool to see that because you can kind of see the way that their production comes as well is they have like that more consistent floor where that high targets per route run and lower a dot those guys are just involved more often. It's way harder for them to goose you. Uh, and then you move on to the other guys that are still in that, you know, absolute top tier echelon of tight ends of Mark Andrews and George Kittle, where they've got slightly lower, but still very good targets per route run of 20 and 19% deeper a dots than we're seeing on those TJ Hawkinson, Sam Laporta, you know, heavily involved, but more underneath type guys. And so these tight ends are the ones where, when Andrews and Kittle have gotten there this season, they've done it in those big nuclear type splash weeks, right? Where they're having a big spike week and delivering that. Right. Um, and so I thought that was really cool, just the way all these guys shook out. And then getting to that bottom. So I think calling those five tight end, those are diff, those are, you know, very different than the rest of the tight ends that are available you know, for, yeah. for you to play in fantasy. It's those five. And then for me, it's a clear tier break. And that next tier is Dallas Goddard, Evan Ingram, and Jake Ferguson, who you can also see. And for me, it's that Evan Ingram is the clear, like, lead of that tier with, again, a targets per route run that's going to be more similar to, like, a Sam Laporta, TJ Hawkinson, Um you know, he's up at 22%, but he's also got that really low ADOT of 4.0. Um, and Goddard and Ferguson, both 5.2, 5.3 ADOT, lower targets per route run of 17 and 18% respectively. And so for me, Dallas Goddard is just fancy Evan Ingram, but we were drafting Dallas Goddard 
you know, more, more aggressively there. Um, and I, I had called out Evan Ingram as, as someone in a, a discord channel mentioned, Oh, Evan Ingram was such a terrible pick in battle Royales and, you know, bad pick in the dog bowl. Cause he was going hundred percent drafted and there were other guys going undrafted and he's the same thing as all these other guys. And for me, that was such a like critical misunderstanding of what Evan Ingram is as far as his role, where it's, Hey, Evan Ingram has enough opportunity in a week where he can deliver such a monster week compared to the guys that were going undrafted. You know, like right. I, I like Logan Thomas. I'll just look at the points. Yeah, Logan, Logan Thomas, Dalton Schultz. I liked both of them for a dog bowl this week. But to say that these guys who are going, you know, Logan Thomas is undrafted off and Dalton Schultz was drafted in most of them. Um, but to say like that Logan Thomas and Evan Ingram are similar in their ceiling is just like you're missing a whole chunk of the right tail for Evan Ingram. And it it was borne out this week in a rainy game where, I mean, shoot, maybe, maybe could have been even better for him if not for the weather. But guy had what, like 11 targets or something for 88 yards. And he didn't get in the end zone and underdogs only half PPR. So it doesn't show up quite as much there, but right. I thought, I thought Evan Ingram was just such a smash demonstration of the role. Yeah, exactly. Um, but love, I just, I was so tickled when I looked at the chart of like, Oh my gosh, it was like the clearest tears that you could possibly imagine for these guys. So that was fun. So what do you think of Colca Matt? Because he strikes me as being a po- definitely a positive surprise, and, and where twenty percent targets per run, and he's he's running a good amount of routes, like that. that obviously, you, you, you never want to pay for a guy with that profile, or so you never want to overpay because you're hitting you're hitting the the mid range, and the bottom can just fall out there. But that uh, that does seem interesting to me, where Unless you have some of the guys that you mentioned there, you probably should be starting at Cole Komet. Yeah, for me, the Cole Komet stuff is, it's exactly what we saw with Cole Komet last season, where it's like, did Cole Komet have a big splash play or a touchdown? This was Cole Komet, you know, inexplicably left wide open with no defender within 20 yards of him. It's a good Cole Komet week. And so it's the same thing we saw last season from Cole Komet. But the fact that that stuff just keeps happening to Cole Komet. Is it just an accident, right? Like there's something about Cole Komet or the situation where it allows him to get, you know, in a situation where there's no defender within 20 yards and he's scoring these big touchdowns. So like um, his average expected point this year through eight games or well, seven games for him is at 12.1. And he's had like expected points of like 14.7, 19.9, 14.1, 16.7. Like that that feels pretty good. Like it, that feels like more than uh okay, well, he was wide open for a big touchdown, so he had a good week. Like that feels like when when the offense is going, like he's a big part of it. Yeah, that's anyway. That's that's certainly fair. Yeah, I might have might have been underselling him a little bit there. I would the way I would frame it and like an actual takeaway I would try to have there is like, as far as, you know, like if you got Cole Komet in your season long league, like you're probably starting, you know, like you're starting him, I guess. Um, but like in best ball going forward, I feel like where Cole Komet was going this year in like the one 
40s, right right around there, like 12th, 12th round or so, that is kind of the sweet spot to where you probably yeah. don't feel quite as bad about taking tight ends because a miss at that point in the draft doesn't hurt you so bad. And then for me, I think my biggest takeaway that I've got going forward is the strategy that uh, got really heavily touted of, oh, just take three or four tight ends with all of your last picks uh, in best ball isn't bad in the sense that there were lots of undervalued tight ends going in those last rounds. I don't think that is the best strategy, though, to employ if you truly are taking them as your last three or last four picks. Because what you're what you're giving up there is you're giving up some of these dart throws where, yes, this season they probably hit at a higher rate than they typically will, right? Where we get guys like Kyron Williams and Puka and, you know, Jerome Ford with the injury and, you know, Justice and Gus and all the, you know, Josh Reynolds, like Kendrick Bourne. Oh, got to pour some out for Kendrick so Bourne. So are you, are you saying that you do recommend – the uh, or or you 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 don't uh, you don't advise against just slamming tight end rounds fifteen through eighteen. I what I'm saying is mixing in, I like take your last tight end in that spot. But I I personally think that if you're a plugged in best ball drafter, you definitely have some dart throw guys, right? You know you yeah. know the guys that you're interested in mixing in at the end of drafts, and if you're taking. Tight end, tight end, tight end for your last three picks, around 16, 16 through 18. When are you taking your your true dart throw actually off the board guy? Are you fading everyone in round 14, 15 to take your, you know, oh, well, Puka was going, you know, undrafted around 18, but I just faded everyone in round 15, took Puka, and then took all my tight ends. What I think the correct way to play it is have your set of dart throw guys that you want to mix in at the end know how many of them you really want to have per team. If you're really confident that you're you're strong with your dart throws, maybe you're doing two per team and they're your 17th and 18th round picks. Maybe you only got, you know, risk tolerance for one. But I think using the late round tight end as a risk tolerance slider is probably the proper way to do it. And so you can mix a Cole Komet in there in the 12th or 13th round and say, I got a better chance of this guy having upside than a Hunter Henry. You know, like, Cost right. adjusted, Cole Komet versus Hunter Henry. The correct play is probably probably Hunter Henry in a vacuum when you're just looking at the tight end position. But when you're looking at it holistically from the point of your entire roster and what you're giving up at other positions by only selecting tight end in the last three rounds, I do think that kind of thinking of the tight end in the last rounds as your risk tolerance slider for taking a, a swing and a miss type dart throw player is uh is the way that I'm gonna do it going forward. I, I know that was a lot of rambling. I hope I explained right. that well. Uh yeah, my my big thing is that the 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 tight end, especially the tight ends that go rounds fifteen through eighteen, they do tend to be sort of like lower upside players as well. And what you'll get is one of those guys will hit and they'll be a good pick. But you're 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 sort of looking at them the in especially in that range you're, you're looking at players that aren't certain to be starters and bad offenses or players that are like probably backups and uh, in 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 maybe slightly better offenses i i'm you know i i uh, i actually think we should move on from uh, this discussion maybe okay. we're getting too far from <laughs> we're gonna, gonna get off in the weeds there 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we talked about Cole Komet. Connor, Connor Hayward. Uh, I, that's, not a, that's not a name I was expecting to see. Uh, what is going on there? So I believe that plays for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I was going to say taking advantage of the for, Pat Fryermuth injury there. Um, he sorry, sorry, all the Darnell Washington uh, truthers, but ten point six expected points last week, but prior to that, pretty low. So he he is the starter in uh, in Pittsburgh, but not a not a particularly valuable role. And and, and when it's not Fryermuth, it, it 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 doesn't matter. Probably. Probably uh, uh, a showdown consideration only, really. Or, or would you disagree? No, yeah, I'm not. I did see someone take Connor Hayward in a dog bowl draft, and I was like, that's oh that is a little off the board even for me. Um, but, yeah, so not, not a click Kyle I'm Pitts, making. Call Pitts uh, right beside Johnny Smith in, in root participation. That feels that that that's starting to feel pretty bad. Where like some of the underlying metrics that we're sort of happy with on call pits and, and and sort of pointed to the breakout that if if they're getting if they're sliding back a bit, that um that that's getting pretty alarming. That that's like okay, not only you're scoring not not scoring points, your underlying stats are getting worse too. Yeah, it's it's moving in the other direction and it's really it doesn't make a ton of sense to me because early the hypothesis was maybe Pitts is still coming off the injury and he's not totally right, but he was running more routes then when that was the theory. And so right. I, his route chair has gone down. He's been demoted essentially. Yeah. It feels tired to, to, you know, do the shit on Arthur Smith thing, but man, I, I think that, it's not as hard. The game isn't quite as hard as he thinks it is. He's like, I got to get, man, if I don't involve Michael Pruitt or Van Jefferson, uh, teams are going to be able to predict what I can do. To which I would say, if you just run out shitty players all the time, it doesn't matter if they know or don't know what you're going to do. Your players can't make the requisite plays. So like, congratulations being unpredictably shitty, I guess. So first four games of the year, Kyle Pitts had an average route participation of 80, 89%. Last four games, 66%. So they've, they've changed the offense there. I I don't know if um, – I, I think you, you can feel pretty good. A lot of people are there already. I think you can feel pretty good about benching uh, Kyle Pitts in, in redraft stuff uh, if you've got a – a, a real option there. Maybe not if your if your options are are bad, but if 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 you've got if you've got someone like Laporta or even Cole Komet, you should be start. You should probably be starting Cole Komet over Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts or Logan yeah. Thomas. Oh my God, and I think it's it's probably Logan Thomas. Yeah, it is. If uh, if 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 healthy and 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 he's you know he's starting, it's probably Logan Thomas. Yeah, which is just so gross. It's just man, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. I know we we called uh, he's on the next chart, but we called uh, what's his. Uh, I'm actually gonna just move us on to the next chart. We called Trey McBride. I think you 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 pointed him as a potential that uh, top five tight end rest of the year. He's he's well on his way there now. 
Trey, Trey McBride's doing his best Jake Ferguson impression, you know, uh, creeping his way onto the starter chart. Obviously, with this being the rolling four weeks and Zach Ertz only recently He's, being yeah. added to IR, um, we're seeing Trey McBride's snaps uh, not accurately reflecting what, what his real role is going forward here. But 27% targets per route run. Good A dot. I know some of it was garbage time. It's been he's he's like king garbage time. But guess what? Garbage right. time points still count, baby. So right, yeah. It 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 doesn't matter if that's where they get their points. That's where they get their points. Yeah. And so uh, another one that called that Michael Meyer. Now last week, obviously the game last night was abysmal. That like the Raiders just played awful overall. But Michael Meyer, seventy nine percent route share. So he's he, like, if that continues, he's a starter. He's the starting tight end. We like Michael Meyer. So that uh, that feels that feels pretty strongly positive to me. Yeah, even if the offense is bad, I, I would say for for all the positives of his uh, his route share increasing, I'm pulling up the Raiders' schedule. I guess you know, thankfully they they've got the Giants, Dolphins and Vikings as three of their games that are coming up. Um, they get the chiefs twice and they do have the chargers. Um, so yeah, they've got, they have four games where they're going to go against pretty poor defenses. Uh, they also get the Colts. So make that five really poor defenses. They'll get to play against. Um, he's now a starting tight end when you were, you were getting him extremely cheap people. We were dropping him. So you've either like got him off waivers or you dropped him cheap. Like I, I, I honestly think when it's that cheap and you're talking about somebody becoming a starter, like the the matchup it, it becomes less important. I don't I, I think I don't know if I'd be drafting in, in dog bowl. Like you you're the sort of dog bowl expert. I would not. I would not. And it's for me it's that the ceiling I cause I I need an undrafted tight end. I almost feel like I need a little more. I need them to separate or, or not get gapped for them to be someone I'm really excited about in dog bowl. And for, for Michael Meyer, I need, you know, minimum a touchdown and probably like 70 yards to, to feel really good about the play. And while the role looks that, right, that feels for, pretty possible. Yeah. Yeah. For the role, you're not wrong. I just, I'm spooked from what we saw from Jim, like, the vibes are bad for the Raiders, man, and and this might be the vibes are pretty bad for the Raiders. <laughs> this might be overreaction. Like, like I remember early in the year, people were like, "What idiots faded Devontae Adams because of their quarterback," and now like the, the same people are like, "Please trade Devontae Adams. Please trade Devontae Adams." Yeah, it's it's, but at the same time, I don't want to overreact to like an island game either, where. There, there have there have been games where the Raiders have been okay, and I'm maybe, just, maybe I'm speaking I'm out of both sides of my mask. I'm really scared that the train, like the train, might just be a runaway train at this point. And yeah, the horses have bolted bolted the barn. <laughs> I don't I don't know that they can get uh, like let's just say hypothetically the Raiders drop a game to the Giants next week, or they're they're on no they're not on by Raiders drop a game to the Giants and then drop another game to the Raiders, and then they're heading in to Miami, follow, followed by the Chiefs. Right, and they get fucking butt-whipped. Like, Devontae Adams is just, like, sitting at home, arms folded. Like, can't you – Man, and uh, 
I wasn't like full on team fade Devonte. I think I came like a little. I'm I'm probably like field neutral on Devonte. You know. Right. Um, but I I wasn't fully bought into the oh you know the Raiders are gonna be so bad it's gonna crush Devonte. It's like I don't know that it matters that much. I'm like in my mind's eye, I'm seeing it pretty clear here. Where after the Chiefs game, when the Raiders lose in the first ever hundred point loss, where the Chiefs put up like a hundred and three, <laughs> and the Raiders like. Can't you just see this just being an absolute all-time meltdown type of team? The vibes feel so yeah, bad. Could. You, that, I think that's possible. And, and I, I don't believe in uh, McDaniels as, as, a, as a coach. Me neither. So I, I feel pretty comfortable that or confident that he's a bad coach. So, well, so for Michael Meyer, they have had good games. To, to, turn like, this into an actionable, team. to turn it into something actionable. For Michael Meyer – if you're in a season long league where you got to choose to start him, is he someone where you think it's safe to say you want to wait to play it until you see it again? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you need to be in a bad situation. You need to be down bad to be starting Michael Meyer tight end. He's a, de- he's, he's a better than a desperation play. There's meat on the bone, okay. but you, you, you're feeling, uh, you're feeling pretty uh, shaky about starting him. Like you don't feel good about it. Yeah. Uh, any other backup tight ends we need to spend time on here? No, I think I think we can move on from the backup tight end chart. And so we now you, you made us put CD Lamb on the thumbnail. You're uh, he, the, he he has he has risen from the dead. Please uh, please tell us about CD Lamb. Uh, this was what I thought was, I mean, I guess I'm a couple weeks late, but I like, I called this out earlier in my infamous mushing of the Cowboys week where I, you know, just killed all Cowboys production and got them blown out by the Cardinals. Um, but I, I truly see this as like, this is the hallmark of the Mike McCarthy offense. I don't know how to do very much, but I do know to throw it to the wide receiver one, like a la Jordy Nelson, a la Devontae Adams. Like, hey, does anyone else, has anyone tried this throw it to the good wide receiver thing? Like, And so coming off of a bye week, perhaps doing a little self-scouting, realizing like, oh yeah, Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks suck. <laughs> like neither of these guys right. are doing anything for us. And so we just have to throw it to C.D. Lamb. I, I think that was that was what we were seeing here was the you know Mike okay McCarthy. just so uh, just to, to be in in and still in actionable mode do you think C D Lamb going forward is he someone where the the weekly floor is kind of low because he's sporadically targeted or do you think this is a wake up call for the Cowboys and you know he he, he goes back to being like heavily targeted and, and he's like a, a, a very strong fantasy producer every almost every game the rest of the way i would say the real and this is such a cop-out answer i think the real truth lies right in between those two where he might because of how poor the offense has looked in a, on certain occasions you've always got to keep that in the range for the cowboys they they can come out and do cowboys things and cd lamb is just gonna hurt you that week but I also think that they are now aware there have been a couple games now. There have been two games where CD has just gotten an absurd okay. amount of targets. We're, we're, we're past the point, point of we like throwing to, to, to tight ends as well. But 
you, you, you're a little bit nervous about the offensive environment as a whole uh, that like maybe they have their suck at weeks. Yeah. And they, their schedule going forward is better than it has been previously this season. So I'd say in general, I'm, I'm more bullish on CD going forward, um, but I don't want to, you know, get, get ahead of myself and get out over my skis. Um, okay. Okay. So other things I think we need to talk about is what are, how are we playing this sort of Viking situation now that, now that Kirk Cousins is out is uh, like Justin Jefferson, is he still, is he a trade candidate or is, is he a trade away? And do we still like Addison? The, uh, the regarding Justin, yeah. Regarding the Justin Jefferson trade away for me, it's probably like, the, the way that I approach leagues where you can trade is if you're, if this is a thing where you care about winning, if you care about winning in this league, this is a market-based game. And the only way to truly know what transactions you should be making is to know every price in the market. And so the correct way to play in a league where you can trade is you need to be talking to all 11 other managers every single day, testing the market on every single player on your roster that you'd be willing to move and every single player on their roster that they might be willing to move. And that's like so crazy job. Yeah. So crazy over the top. But like, if you want to win, that is the correct way to play a market-based game. You need to know the market. Right. If it was a million dollar league, that would be like, like, or even like $10,000 week. Yeah, if it's a if it's a thing where the pride matters substantially to you or the money matters substantially to you, you need to be grinding to the fucking nub in the trade streets because to to make this about Justin Jefferson, I don't know if it's a good trade or not because it really depends on how your league mates perceive him. If they're willing to pay old Justin Jefferson prices and you can get a true haul for him, then yeah, I love offloading the uncertainty and that risk and, and just, you know, in a straight redraft, no keeper league saying, hey, whatever, this volatility is for someone else to embrace. I'm going to take more known commodities here and and try and right. take this value and convert it into something that has a little less risk on it. Um, and then so ju- just, to, just to hone in like and really and maybe drill in on, on the usability too. So obviously... It's, we're price sensitive on uh, Justin Jefferson. Uh, uh, I, I, I think I think that makes sense. But then, the I guess more directly, how much are we docking the Vikings pass catchers for this move from uh, Kirk Cousins, great fantasy friendly quarterback, to uh, to Dobbs? Which Here's- is it's a hard question. So what I would say is let's, and this is not an apples to apples thing at all, but let's think about what the Cardinals looked like with Dobbs, right? Like, were they able to have usable weeks from guys? Absolutely. The consistency was something where it was, you're a little less able to rely on it. And so what I would say is, you know, Jefferson ceiling certainly takes a hit because I, I just don't think that, you know, look at like Marquise Brown is great great wide receiver, good NFL player. But just in that offense, it it was really hard for him to put up elite numbers. Um, And and obviously Justin Jefferson is a better player than, than Marquise Brown. But I I think that we'll see Jefferson come down. I mean, maybe more in the, gosh, it feels really gross to, 
to like, because I, I feel like I'm picking an arbitrary point, a watermark of where he'll fall to, but maybe more in line with like Amon Ra or Keenan going forward. And it's just like the combination of QB talent and wide receiver talent where those wide receivers have better quarterbacks and, and Justin Jefferson's a better receiver talent. It kind of, they meet in the middle around there. I, I don't know. I It's yeah, it's that makes sense. And uh, so when, uh, when Kirk Cousins was initially injured, I, I, I sort of remembered back to the last time he didn't play and the, the offense was awful. It was just God awful. And I was like, Oh, is that where we're going to see again? And so I think Dobbs is, is a competent quarterback. One thing that, sort of like makes me feel a little bit better about Dobbs is that he did, he ha, he did sort of like, I think for the expectations that were fair for that offense going in, he did help them exceed. He did help the offense play better. Whereas like, I, I feel like an, an offense where the main receiver is Hollywood Brown and they're having to treat him like an alpha and He's getting 25% target share and he's getting like the alpha sort of targets where it's not sort of deep shot stuff. And then you're talking about Zach Ertz, you're talking about Michael Wilson and like, oh, what about Rondell Moore? I, I, I feel like he is sort of like a net out of the quarterback or at least that that's what my sense is based on his play so far. And... I think you you have to consider it a, a clear downgrade just because Kirk Cousins is so helpful for fantasy. But I I on I and and maybe this is this is me going on a, on a limb and, and and admittedly tough question and I don't have all the answers. But I do wonder if thing if things for that offense are maybe not not as bad as uh, as they could have been when Kirk Cousins went down. Yeah, and like maybe maybe he's like maybe uh, Jefferson is still in the Stefan Diggs range. I think that's like you. That's like an optimistic outlook, right? Because yeah, it is. It is. You know, sure. couldn't couldn't he also be in the Devonte Adams range? You know, where all of a sudden the offense goes from functional to non-functional. The the offense wasn't good outside of the passing game, right? Like the run game wasn't very good. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm, uh, but with, with how uncertain both of us are, I think to take it back to the, are you trading Justin Jefferson thing? It re- yeah. It, it just really highlights to me where if you can right. get anything close to what Justin Jefferson was worth, you just do it because of the uncertainty. Cause like the outcome, the bad outcomes are so they're like, you're now dead. You know, your league is, uh, you're, it's all over for you. Um, and so it's just like, let's try and offload some of that risk because I think one thing that we can say with relative confidence is that it's not Justin Jefferson's not going to come back from IR and just keep doing Justin Jefferson things without Kirk cousins, right? Like he'll still be good, but it's not going to be the, he's a lock for 150 every week, right? Right. Yeah, no way. Oh, yeah. I feel, it, I feel it, yucky talking about it. Yeah, it's uh it's tough for sure. Um 
And I, I, I accept that I'm still, I, I'm probably more on, on the optimistic side where like, I, I think maybe Dobbs is, is, is a little bit better than uh, maybe there's a, there's a chance he's league average, but I accept that like given, given sort of like long-term thinking and, and he's a, he's a long-term journeyman. That that probably is a little bit optimistic based on a couple of games for the uh, for the Cardinals, and in terms of how do you play him in DFS? How do you play Jordan Addison in, in DFS? Yeah, I it, it probably is like a situation where if someone's like, oh no, I can't I can't play Jordan Addison, and Jordan Addison just falls all the way down, and and he's among the last drafted peak players, like you're probably very interested in Addison then. But you, you, you do need a discount from where he was going before. Yeah, and in games like DFS or Battle Royales or Dog Bowl where there's, you know, the prizes are very top-heavy and you're very incentivized to take on risk and be contrarian against the market, um, I, I'm definitely the kind of guy that likes to play things before I see them in those types of contests. Oh, man, I it would feel so hard to click Jordan Addison, you know, before, before you've seen that it's going to be okay for Jordan Addison, you know, with, without Kirk cousins, that even in like, look, let's say the dog bowl, where, where do you, do you think he should be undrafted or what round do you think he should be in? Let's see. Are the, are the Vikings, uh, on, let's, let's pull this. Are up. they on, on the, yeah. Good question. Hey, on the main slate. We got Vikings Falcons, yeah, on the main slate. Oh my goodness, yeah, this is, I mean, like potential slow pace game with it, it's because I don't think Dobbs is starting, right? Dobbs isn't starting. No, this no, week. he's not. The, the the rookie unknown rookie is is yep. uh, starting this week. So, oh God. So look, like yes, the it, if Addison's going in now for me, I need him going undrafted. Like he can't be going last round and owned in in a hundred percent of drafts. That takes a lot of the mustard off the fastball, so to speak. I need him undrafted, so I'm getting him at you know the field gets all all the players at eight and a third percent in the dog bowl. I need right. Jordan Addison to be two percent, you know, three percent, so that when I get a Jordan Addison hit, um, you know, instead of playing against four hundred teams, I'm playing against two hundred or even one hundred teams. You know, if I get a sub one percent Jordan Addison and I'm playing against fifty teams, I'm I'm cooking with some serious gas when he hits, right? Like you get a you get a Jordan Addison two touchdown game, and he's you got fifty Jordan Addison teams you're playing against. That's the kind of spot that I'm looking for. Um, right. And thank you. You you gave me enough courage now to be willing to click him if he goes undrafted. Um, but I. But just the how much it took me to get there and how gross that felt, I think, is indicative of why the play becomes good, right? It has to be right. just that gross and bad feeling for it to right. become a good play and get to that. Undrafted. Yeah, especially especially with the, the with the unknown rookie because that it could especially this week it could be awful. Yeah, but but awful. you can get and this was why I I played uh, a little bit of Hopkins last week. Unfortunately, didn't get uh, enough of him. I, I told you this in our, our group chat. I mentioned for a lot of my dart throws in the dog bowl that go undrafted, I put them in a list. I throw them all in my queue. I go to random.org 
and I randomize for however many, if I got three in there, I randomize one to three and whatever order mm -hmm. they're in, I take the number, right? And so I kept having Hopkins in there. It's Hopkins, Kendrick Bourne, a couple other guys that I really liked that went undrafted. And every time random.org would select someone other than Hopkins, I was like, whew, dodged another Hopkins share. Oh, <laughs> I, I was, the my good fortune was smiling upon me there. I didn't have to click DeAndre Hopkins. And so I only got, I got him on two teams with how the randomness gods uh, let it shake out. And I was so sad thinking back to all those teams that just if it had broken another way. Um, so, so this is to say that it can go that way. You know, those rookie quarterbacks where it's entirely unknown, a lot of input volatility, those are spots that can be worth attacking um, provided that it sets up right and, and you're in those top heavy type of contests. Uh, we, we did spend a lot of time on just a couple receivers, but it was a situation that I think was really important to parse. Yeah. The other, I've got two guys, three more guys total. One is a team situation level thing. And the other is elite, elite regression candidate. Um, I'm going to just blurb the regression guy really quick. Cause we've talked about him before, but it's Chris Olave. I'm, so what I was doing to start this season with DFS was I will play Brees Hall every week. I don't care. I'm going to play him every week because I know that eventually he's going to get there. And I'm just trying to be a week early, right? I'm playing it before I see it. I'm at that point now with Chris Olave for the rest of the season for DFS because I feel like he's burned people enough and he's still getting crazy air yards and the schedule is good. I am I will play Chris Olave every week until he makes me money for the rest of the season. Um, so that's my quick blurb there for the team level thing. Um, very, very, very concerned about fantasy usefulness for Seahawks passing game because Jake Bobo is the bane of your existence as a Seahawks, you know, passing game investor. If you have Tyler Lockett, you have DK Metcalf, you have JSN, the bad news is that Jake Bobo turned it into a four-man party, and I'm really concerned that just for all of these guys, they're you're just going to be stuck in the spot where all four of them have their usefulness reduced. Um, so I'm a little scared there. I, am I overreacting to Jake Bobo? So are we overreacting to uh, Bobo? Yeah. I guess the, the big thing that it comes down to is, is there enough? Because obviously he is a, he's sort of like a, a part, part-time starter. Let's, let's, so I have to, I, I have to see what, uh, what actually his, uh, his root chair is. Um, and so we're, so Jake Bobo, week eight, uh, Uh, I'm sorry. You're fine. I'll I'll vamp while you find the Jake Bobo stats. Because for me, just from watching the games, what Jake Bobo feels like to me is it reminds me of how that gross tight end rotation happens in Seattle, where it's like, man, there's points that happen to this tight okay. end position, but I just can't can't pin down who it is. And Jake Bobo feels like an extension of that into the the. Water. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read out. The uh, the Jake Bobo stats, uh, such such as they are. So week week six, his route share is thirty one percent. 
Week seven with DK Metcalf, it's 86%. Week eight, DK Metcalf back, it's 26%. So I think I don't. I don't think I. I think he's he's definitely much more of a part-time player. Now okay. his targets per at run, it, it, he he can definitely get targets. It's like for example, he, actually, you know, he's getting like I. I think it's a little bit overblown. Like okay. other than week seven, you're talking like two targets, two targets, and he's also having games where he's not targeted at all. So, so the, he wasn't the, targeted in week four, week five. So the Jake Bobo touchdown vividness that I'm uh, I'm falling victim to this last week. You're saying don't worry about it. Um, the the Seahawks passing game options are going to be fine. Jake Bobo is not going to come steal your candy. Yeah, yeah, I I don't I don't think he's the bo- the bogeyman. <laughs> Very good. Um, all right, he's let's a Halloween team. Let's hit the next uh, wide receiver chart here. We uh, we didn't uh, one, quite one thing in. actually. I, I, I before we move on, um, Pickens with Deontay back. It looks like very much back to his old role. Uh, his um, his targets per out run way down. He did get the touchdown, but very little by the way of yardage. Very little by the way of targets. And Deontay Johnson, just a volume machine once again. So really disappointing there for how good he looked with the yeah Deontay out. But I do – and maybe it's still something to monitor going forward, but I, I, I am pretty concerned with the collapse there uh, after uh, Deontay coming back, like, sort of fully healthy. That's that's a good call. I would For me, it's more uh, monitor, put a pin in it, and, and see – um, but yeah, right. definitely. It's concerned. one game. Don't overreact. Yeah, but pretty, pretty upsetting to see. Yeah. Okay, so we're moving on to the Tyreek Hill chart. And look at that, DeAndre Hopkins with just one game has moved out of his, uh, you know, candidate for positive regression into guy who has just had positive regression affect him. Right. Um, and you know what's funny? I, I think uh, Gretch might have pointed, or was it, it, I believe it was Pat actually pointed this out with respect to Lamar Jackson, where these guys that are candidates for positive regression, it's it doesn't necessarily have to happen like slow and steady, like, oh, and all of a sudden Lamar just, you know, chips it away. Right. This, he had six good games in a row, and now he's back to where he should be. It can happen in these big explosive efficiency type games like we saw for Hopkins and we saw for Lamar two weeks ago. And so that's why successfully identifying these positive regression candidates can be so helpful because, you know, when it hits, it it can hit in such a outsized way. And so can I bring to you two very gross regression candidates here and you tell me which one you prefer going forward? Okay. Uh, Christian Watson and T Higgins, who both are right about 60% weighted targets per route run. Higgins getting a few more, uh, a little bit higher route share than Christian Watson. Which do you prefer going forward? Um, I mean, easily, easily T Higgins, because I think you, you did have concerns with Joe Burrow and the injury Looks like he, he's fully healthy now, and and, and we've seen we've seen the big T Higgins games, where 
Jamar Chase is clearly the preferred, like he's the, he is the first receiving option, but you still get those big T Higgins explosion games. I guess on the other hand, Watson is a speed demon and he's definitely had those games where he, he's just off to the races. But we were talking about earlier where Packers not a uh, not an attractive offense, and the long term data on Watson is not great. He was not; he was a pretty mediocre college player, to be honest. It took him till like his fifth year to really smash, and yeah, in situations like that, the the good rookie year in in limited sample size, the 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 fact that he's not a good college player is really important context. So t- talent better T Higgins, team better T Higgins, quarterback better T Higgins. Yep. That that makes pretty, sense pretty to me. For the uh just to take one quick uh detour on the Christian Watson thing, for guys like that where they didn't produce in college but they're they're these freak athletes, I think you can almost chalk that up as more of a negative than a positive because it's this guy had all of the physical gifts and he still couldn't beat guys who, you know, eventually are going yeah, to be bagging Safeway groceries, right? So just uh, something to, to look out for um, when you get prospects like that. He, he's certainly looking closer to the Martavis Bryant career arc than right. uh, or the Chase Claypool career arc, right? Um, JSN yeah. finally made it up to this chart, uh, getting getting a higher route share. Um Still, he's still down in the uh, the melt carton corner, but he's trending in the right direction. So, will be interesting to see um, if he can fight off the Boba Monster and uh, earn more opportunity in the face of Lockett and Metcalf. Um, yeah, yeah, not really. A, not not a great game for him last week. Just four targets. He did get the touchdown, but uh, yeah, outside of the touchdown though, didn't. Yeah, nothing, much. nothing there. His his route share was back down to sixty four percent, not heavily targeted, literally just a touchdown. So, yeah, that that that's a bit concerning, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it next week for sure. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, Viking funeral, uh, torn ACL, um, really sad. He was uh, he was the only serviceable receiver in that offense so now you've got uh pop douglas or demario douglas um and, right and i mean like if there was any way for the taekwon truthers to get there like the it, the this path has it. been the path has been cleared as clear as it can get for taekwon yeah. so if taekwon doesn't happen um yeah, he's on draft next. Yeah, all the Taekwon slappies, myself included, uh, should be shamed for their Taekwon bags. So let's uh, let's move on. Um, so love seeing Tank Dell, Rasheed Rice, um, up here. I, I don't I don't know if there's like th- those are guys we've talked about before. Is there anybody here we haven't talked about before, sort of standing out to you? No, I mean, I was interested in Jalen Hyatt before we got the Terod Taylor rib injury. So he's he's uh, still just like a wait and see. Jalen Hyatt's like, it seems like the classic kind of rookie that uh, does something randomly in the fantasy playoff, you know, catches two long touchdowns for 22 points or something crazy like that in fantasy playoffs. And 
everyone goes crazy over it. Um, right. But no, otherwise, I mean, like, gosh, is there is there anyone on this chart where you're even like outside of like those top quadrant guys? Like, I mean, yeah, even Nick Westbrook Akini is not even rosterable, but like Jaden Reed, Rashi Rice, Curtis Samuel, Tank Dell. Is there anyone else? I mean, we talked about Demario Douglas very briefly that he he's probably the best candidate to, you know, maybe vacuum up a little bit of the opportunity from Kendrick Bourne. But no, like, these are all gross, aren't they? Yeah, not, none of like, it. You're gross. Can't can't roster but, any of them, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we've had our graduates from the chart. I think Rashi Rice is, is trending to be a graduate from the chart. Tank is Zay Jones, when healthy, should be. Um, but I, I think we've sort of like barring injuries, we've sort of like found the players who are playing well enough to become starters, and and everyone else is sort of a marginal player. Two two quick points: we did see Quentin Johnston finally get targets and and like production in an NFL game, so that was like very small signs of life for Quentin Johnson. He doesn't get like the full zombie resurrection rise from the dead. Like our, uh, our thumbnail cover boy CD lamb did, but like, if anything, Quentin Johnson is scratching from inside the coffin. You know, you can hear the fingernails on the, on the coffin. Not bad. 50 yards and no touchdowns, obviously, but it, it did, did require thirds of the routes. It required Josh Palmer to re-aggravate his knee for that to happen. But who right. Knows? Yeah, yeah. And, and then the yeah. last he, guy he's I, purely contingent, unfortunately. The last guy I had anything noteworthy on on this chart was Curtis Samuel. And I'm looking at this more as a uh like an offensive trend slash signal to pay attention to. So Samuel uh left the game with injury. He was questionable coming into the week, and I was looking at that as Maybe this is a week where Logan Thomas gets more involved as the Eagles have, you know, pretty ferocious pass rush. The last time the commanders saw the Eagles, they gave up a ton of sacks. And with Samuel not able to operate in, you know, that shorter gadgety kind of role where he's get, he's been getting some of those type of targets, maybe we'd see Logan Thomas fill in for that. When Curtis Samuel, uh, was actually ruled out. We saw Jahan Dotson finally get some more opportunity. We also saw, um, gosh, what's Dusty Old? He was a Bills receiver last. Jamison Crowder uh, saw Jamison Crowder yeah, have a game. Um, and so for me, what I see this as is with the absurd amount of pass volume that Washington team is able to generate, and I, I could see that number staying high and potentially even increasing with their trades to get rid of two defensive pieces here at the deadline. Um, their defense should be worse. Their offense has shown they're down to pass. And so I would say when Curtis Samuel is in and fully healthy, you're less excited about, you know, basically anyone other than Terry McLaurin. But when Curtis Samuel is out, there's just so much opportunity there that that's when you get guys like Dotson being more attractive potentially that was kind of my my takeaway right. I think that might be a little too uh just jumping to conclusions after one week or well uh, uh you you get somebody who gets targeted out of the game then obviously it has to condense and that's sort of what you need for dotson and um, but 
doesn't still doesn't feel great for Dotson that like that's what's blocking him, Curtis Samuel. <laughs> um, but obviously good to know that there is some there is some potential upside there still for Dotson. Uh, I saw this note here on Bateman. Um, I I I I actually I'm looking at the, the data here. I I can't agree with this. Where yes, he he had like a 63 percent route share, which is actually pretty good. Like he, he's 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 gone back to to being sort of like a quasi starter, but he only had 10 percent targets per out run, and two targets on uh, a good amount of routes on, on 20 routes. So he did, I guess he got, he did well with the two targets, but I I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, unless there is more going on with the injury than we know, and, 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 and maybe there is that uh, unless Bateman has some injury that he can suddenly kick. That the the data has just been consistently that he, he's not been good, and I, I I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of ready to bury uh, Bateman. Yeah, I I am as well. For me, the Bateman stuff is is uh, for me as a, a heavy Bateman drafter. It's mostly copium at this point. I'm just very glad that I diversified and uh, picked Zay Flowers some of the times when I wanted to click Bateman right. and. and uh, that's my saving grace that I kept clicking both of them. Um, so for every Bateman, yeah. there's a flowers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I, I think we're done then, right? I, I think that does it. I think that wraps up our, uh, our Halloween episode. Um, very, very. We had a positive re- regression to the mean on, uh, on runtime for seconds. Yeah. Absolutely. But maybe, I mean, maybe we can, uh, you know, trend closer to that two hour mark going forward. Um, we'll, we'll see next week. Um, but for those of you that made it through the entire two and a quarter hours here with us, we appreciate you and, and your viewership. Hope you found uh, some actionable takeaways from today. Um, and until next Tuesday at five o'clock, uh, good luck this week, everyone. And we will see you then. See you next week, everyone.